DangerQuestMysteries.com presents M-O-B-E, number three. Mysteries of the Bicycle Explained. A brief encounter with the surly Shakespearean insult-quoting bicycle. They strange and serious examination of bicycular truth by your author, Peter Gelman. Counter with the surly Shakespearean insult quoting bicycle. There will never be another surly Shakespearean insult quoting bicycle. Nor was there ever, or was there? If so, what was it, you ask? I don't know, I reply. Maybe, and this is me still talking, not you. Maybe some random quality that persists weekly through all matter, filled 100% of the mass of that old bike. Sometimes, this is now you, sometimes I think there is something in the periodic table of elements that wants to chafe, jostle, and mock. I agree with you. Maybe that's why it was so surly. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, and this is me speculating now, maybe that certain something existed in undiluted fashion in the lost Shakespearean insult-quoting bicycle. How did it get lost? First, I have to tell you how I found it. I can't explain until the next paragraph. Now, the time has come for me to explain it to you. It happened several years ago. It was, perhaps, the first noteworthy thing to happen in the 21st century. 
Certainly, I had no plans to discover that most curious and confounding bicycle. How was I to blame? Everyone was so relieved that the Y2K scare did not destroy civilization. That winter morning was strangely warm. I walked outside on both of my two feet. I walked upon the clean, wet street, determined to relish the civilization that did not go bluey. I walked with first my left foot and then my right, for it was the first time in the 21st century that I perambulated. I looked around, but the Y2K riots just did not materialize. I allowed myself a private snicker as I passed the camping store shopkeeper who was taking plywood off of his windows. The gods intervened when I passed the first 21st century futuristic garage sale. The garage door stood open. I peeked in to see if there were any spacesuits for sale. Standing in that garage by the three-wheeled toy wagons, the chipped lamps, the rayon blouses with strips of masking tape on them reading 50 cents, was a curious, clunky, old relic of the previous century. I brushed off the cobwebs. It was a three-speed, possibly a Raleigh. Or maybe someone had replaced an older bike with some Raleigh parts. Time and neglect had dulled the bike's red paint. How much is it? I asked the nervous, gray-haired woman standing nearby. She leaned toward me as I pulled out my wallet. I have five dollars. What a coincidence! That's exactly how much it costs! She tugged the bill from my hand. Was there something odd about her eagerness? What did it matter? There was something special about this old bike. It wasn't exactly old. It was oldie. O-L-D-E. Its overinflated tires were not exactly inflated. They were expatiated. Its frame paint was not quite scratched, so much as vexed. All sales are final, the seller blurted. Five clams lighter, I shrugged, mounted the bike, and pushed off. 
It was a lovely winter day for a bike ride. But of course, this is what I always say, especially when riding a new bike for the first time. As I began to pedal, I heard the bicycle chain squeak out something. A little oil will solve that, I told myself. The squeaking suddenly stopped. I shrugged and pedaled on. A few moments later, the squeaking returned. I cocked my head to listen. These were not the usual squeaks. They weren't quite squeaks. I laughed at myself, for the squeaks sounded more like expostulations than squeaks. But of course, they were just squeaks. No! A realization struck me like a thunderbolt. These alleged squeaks were in fact the trills and syllables of an energetic Shakespearean flavor. What was the bicycle telling me? The bicycle expostulated. I jammed on the front brake, launched over the handlebars, landed flat on my back. The bike bounced on top of me. Are you okay? asked a matronly pedestrian. She was walking her cat on a leash. Am I okay? I laughed. It's incredible, a miracle. How is it? Possible. That quote was from Henry V. Madame, I called out, do you realize this is a Shakespeare quoting bicycle? The pedestrian remained unimpressed. Sir Francis Bacon really wrote the plays? She quipped. I remounted and rode on. As I climbed up division, the bicycle suddenly exclaimed, I looked. Beside me was a police car. The officer looked annoyed, but uncertain whether he should be offended. We both stopped at a red light. That was just my bicycle quoting from King Lear, I explained. It wasn't me. Not you, the officer replied. It was your bike, right. You could try harder than that, smart guy. Well, somehow the bike... Have you ever read Shakespeare? No, who wrote it, smart guy? Who wrote Shakespeare? 
It's kind of hard to answer that one, officer. He stared at me from behind his mustache. You don't know either, I guess. Well, smart guy, if your bike can talk, why isn't it talking now? I looked down at it. I don't know. The smart guy doesn't seem so smart, does he? The officer turned his gaze down to my little vehicle. I'm a cyclist too, and I have to say, man, that is one ugly bike. The light turned green, and he zoomed off. I began pedaling, and the squeaks returned. But they weren't squeaks. These squeaks were, in fact, choice lines from Shakespeare's play, King John. I stopped and put my foot on the street. The bike ceased its quotation. There's no such thing as an ugly bicycle, I remarked to no one in particular. And then I resumed pedaling up the hill. The bike continued. Gelman created all aspects of this work, both words and music. This recording is protected by the Creative Commons non-commercial, no derivatives license. To contact Monsieur Gelman, please visit DangerQuestMysteries.com. Cesar Madrati's traveling antique appraisal show was coming to Portland. I was quite nervous the morning of the big event. Would the great Mondrati appreciate my Shakespeare quoting bicycle? I prepared myself. Having seen the show at least 99 times, I knew what to expect. If Mondrati said the bicycle wasn't worth anything, I would laugh lightly as if I didn't care and say, it's a family treasure. I'll never part with it. But, as was more likely the case, he might say it was worth something, something with at least four, possibly five zeros. In that case, 
I'd press my hand to my mouth and squeal. What did you say, Mr. Mundrati? You said the bicycle is worth $50,000? No, not 500000 50 million? I don't care. I'll never part with it. It's a family treasure. My bike and I stood in a long line watching the selection process. I practiced wiping choreographed tears of joy from the corners of my eyes. Tabby Pasteur, Mondrati's famous assistant, let a young man walk forward. The man had a retro facial hairstyle of the type known as mutton chops. Young Mr. Mutton Chops carried a sword. I squinted at it and ran my mind through the hundreds of episodes of the traveling antique appraisal show. Was it a Napoleonic saber? Or was it, one could only hope, a clever forgery? Mr. Mutton Chops placed the sword on the velvet-covered table before the great master Mondrati. Mutton Chops thumbed a finger in his jeans belt loop, and perhaps it was premature, he grinned triumphantly. This here's the sword Napoleon wore at Austerlitz. Mondrati slapped his forehead. What? asked Mutton Chops. Is it a forgery? In a low, restrained tone, Mondrati asked, Did you see our special on swords and pistols? Before the young man could answer, Mondrati clenched his fists and began to shout, I looked at thousands and thousands of swords for three days. I had to do it. It was in my contract. I almost went blind, I tell you. I told PBS that contract or no contract, I would never, ever, ever appraise a sword again. Military collectors are distorting the market. Because of people like you, a sword is worth more than an ancient Greek mosaic. That's why so many mosaics have been destroyed. Take it away, you disgust me. Market distorter, mosaic destroyer, barbarian, Philistine, get out of my sight. With one hand, Mondrati covered his eyes. With his other hand, he swished his handkerchief at mutton chops. Never had a handkerchief been swished with more angst than that handkerchief. Tabby Pasteur led the young man away with a roughness that shocked me. Next, a middle-aged woman showed Mondrati a small, rough-hewn, round table. It was black with age and authenticity. Standing close, feeling the reflected 
glow of the great Mandrati, his baseball cap blushed. She pushed up the brim, took a big gulp of air, and spoke. Hi there. Wow, gosh, I'm so glad, too. He waved his hand. Yes, yes, yes. So glad to meet the great Mandrati. How wonderful for both of us. I am me, and you are you. On with it, woman. Her smile grew, and I knew what it meant. She was so confident that the irascible maestro would value her artifact more than any other, that by extension, he would value her more, and they would become best, best, best friends forever and ever. This, she declared, is a sailor's table. The quartermaster of the Santa Maria carved it in 1492. Hmm, it's a 1492, you say? And it's worth exactly that. $14.92. Where are the matching chairs? It's an ensemble. Never break an ensemble. Mondrade gave the table a kick. Next. A bald man in overalls pushed a wheelbarrow. In the wheelbarrow stood a large marble statue of a nude. My father took it home from the war, he drawled. He found it strapped to the back of a panzer tank. I think it's the Venus de Milo. Do you really? The expert looked at the marble with a sour expression. Too bad it's missing its arms, or it might be worth something. It's trash, pronounced Mondrati. Trash, I tell you. Get out of my sight with your broken garden crockery. Next. Two women struggled with a large, awkward crate. The women appeared to be in their 50s. I suspected they were sisters. One sister's shape bore an uncanny resemblance to a sweet potato. However, the other looked nothing like a sweet potato, not in the slightest. She looked more like a yam. The yam opened the crate and pulled out a flat, rectangular object covered with a white cloth. The sweet potato pulled off the cloth, and we gasped. It looked just like the Mona Lisa. But wasn't that in the Louvre, behind bulletproof glass? The yam giggled. Our grandfather was an art forger. The sweet potato giggled. Yeah, the one hanging in the Louvre is a fake. This is the real one. The yam presented a stack of papers to Mondrati. Here's his written confession, photos of the robbery, x-rays showing the drawing underneath, and certified chemical analysis of the paint. Mondrati stroked 
his mustache. You have nice provenance, certainly, but who doesn't? He took the stack of papers and dropped it in the trash can. The expert world. Look at the painting itself. I mean, you tell me. I ask you, an expert stooping to ask the opinion of an amateur. Is she smiling or not? I don't know. I'm going to pull out my hair if I stare at the painting any longer. Is she smiling or not? I just don't know. And in fact, I just don't care. Buyers these days don't go for subtlety. It's worthless. Trash, garbage, get out, tabby, who's next? Nervously, I inched forward with my modified Raleigh mystery bike. And what do you think you've got there? Tabby Pester asked without looking up from her clipboard. Tremulously, I spoke. It's a Shakespeare quoting bicycle. Please leave, Pester declared, pointing to the exit. Move along. Next. I felt the world threatening to shatter under my feet. I did not move. No, please believe me. Really, this bicycle quotes from Shakespeare. Pasteur glared at me with the narrowed eyes of an assassin. She snapped her fingers and pointed. Guards! Him out now. The guards grabbed me. Two of them. I began shouting. Three, four. They began to drag me. Six guards. Flat on the floor, I hooked my fingers in the laces of Pasteur's boot. Caesar Mondrati waddled over. The guards let me go. Lying on the floor, I looked up at the gigantic belly of the master. And what seems to be the matter here? Something worthy of interrupting my concentration? I trust! Reluctantly, with the heel of her boot poised over my head, the assistant told him, the charlatan says he's got a, a Shakespeare-quoting bicycle. The entire room grew brighter as Mandrati's gigantic face lit up. No, not the fabled SQB. I jumped up from the floor. You've heard of it? He clapped and jumped up and down around the Raleigh. I never thought it was real. Who could believe I, Caesar Mondrati, discovered the whereabouts of the long-lost SQB? Which love sonnet will it tell me? I must write it. I must! I bowed. Be my guest. I gently presented the machine to him, silently adding a couple of zeros to my guess of the appraisal value. The story continues in just a moment.
MrQuestMysteries.com.com.com. Mysteries of the Bicycle Explained.
and smiled hesitantly. Of course. Six of us caught him as he rolled off of the bicycle. He embraced me and then vigorously shook my hand. Do you think I discovered the Shakespeare quoting bicycle at the top of my career? I was at the top, sir. Do you understand? The only way to go from the top is down. And yet Caesar Mondrati found another way. Up. He turned away. Tabby, I think we have a feature here. Call the producer. What is this moisture on me? I am sweating. Sweating. Where's my powder? Powder. 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 Hardly had two minutes passed when two clouds of makeup dusted over Mondrati's face and my own. Time whirled around me, a blur of cuckoo clocks, silver gravy ladles, and dove-jointed cabinetry. Lost in a haze of bliss, I dimly recalled hearing the producer whisper to Pastor, This better go well. We're broadcasting live in six time zones. Whoosh! I fell to earth. There I stood as Mondrati lifted his stubby leg and started to crank forward on the Raleigh. Audio technicians stood poised at a discreet distance, their sonic dishes pointed at the bicycle. Mondrati lifted one hand, trailing a blue silk handkerchief, and cried out, Oh, voluble bardo cycle, speak, recite for us some immortal honeyed words of love. Obediently, the bicycles shouted out. <laughs> There was a stunned silence as this quote from Troilus and Cressida, Act 2, Scene 1, struck home. The bike then quoted from Coriolanus. <laughs> The audience began to laugh. Unable to dismount without help, Mondrati continued to ride. Panic filled his face. Before the live audience in six time zones, the bicycle spoke again. Yeah, 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 yeah.
and crooked, old and still, ill-faced, worse-bodied, shapeless everywhere, vicious, ungentle, foolish, blunt, unkind, stigmatical in making, worse in mind. Why? Why did it have to choose those telling words from the comedy of errors? Was it because the bicycle hated me? Or was it because those words were true? Mondrati, red-faced, teetered and crashed into a shelf full of Bakelite cups and saucers. A moment later, his large, round, angry head lifted up through the wreckage. He pointed a finger, not a happy finger, not a happy finger congratulating me to the Extraordinary Antique Owners Club. No, it was a dreadful finger of public broadcasting prosecutorial accusation. It's you, he stood up. I expose you as a bicitriloquist. The crowd, clutching their antique baubles, stared at me with hatred. Mandrati arched back manfully, hand on hip. You dare mock me? No, I mock you, sir. As for your loudmouth bike, it's jerk. Absolutely worthless. I started to stammer an objection, but I didn't know what to say. Mandrati dismissed me and began caressing a Federalist period table. Sadly, I picked up the bike. It seemed that everyone was ignoring me now. I thought I could slip out with some quiet dignity. But I was wrong. Tabby's boots clip-clopped. She snapped her fingers. I looked left. I looked right. But there was no escape. Tabby's goons hustled me out the back door and threw my bicycle beside me. Tabby appeared silhouetted in the doorway. Idiot, she cursed. Mr. Mondrati has powerful friends. You're on our list, and I don't mean Christmas. I didn't like the sound of that. She must have reacted to my expression. Let me give you some advice. That bike is cursed she declared. You should get rid of it. Tears in my eyes, I mounted the bike. I slowly rode away. I was upset, not at Mandrati, not at Tabby and her thugs, not even at PBS. I was angry at my bicycle.
It's a miracle that you can speak at all, I told the Raleigh. Why? Why is it? Why is it that the only Shakespearean quotes you can say are insults? The bike made no reply. I pedaled on, grumbling. My bike was not a fast bike, not a sporty bike, not a fun bike, nor was it a beautiful bike. It wasn't even a nice bike. It was a mocking, sneering, curmudgeon of a bike. Its transports were not always sublime. Eventually, I noticed that the streets were quiet. I could count each red ray of the sun. There were 60 rays. A cloud looked like an elephant playing badminton. The road squeaked and giggled under the bike's pneumatic caress like the taut belly of a starlet. I drifted nicely from urban point A to urban point B. But my bike was still an irritable, Elizabethan, snobby, ruffian, disrespectful, ill-tempered, loud-mouthed bike. How was it possible? I guess a Shakespeare coining bicycle is something that happens from time to time like the birth of the universe. As I considered these thoughts, I didn't notice anyone following me. I locked my bike at the health food store and disappeared behind the giant leaves of kale and chard. When I came out again, my bike was gone. Someone had cut through the lock. Although I didn't know it yet, this was an early demonstration that the 21st century would not be quite as cheerfully futuristic and utopian as I thought it would be. Years passed. I heard nothing more about it. I would like to think that my loudmouth bike still chased the obnoxious 21st century world from point A to point B and even to point C. But maybe it doesn't. Maybe Mondrati's goons smashed it apart. Or maybe they stole it for him. Maybe it's in Mandrati's treasure trove under a black velvet curtain next to his Art Nouveau clock stands and priceless Navajo pottery.
Thank you for listening. You can find more of our podcasts at dangerquestmysteries.com.